Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined as always by my co-host Matt Fortuna in Chicago, who went as Olaf for Halloween earlier this week. Uh, and pleased to be joined by Grace Rayner, multiple times South Carolina Sports Writer of the Year, uh, Clemson reporter, recruiting uh, reporter as well for The Athletic. Grace, thanks for uh, making some time for us this week. Um, so sad that you will not be up in the press box with us, so we can't do a live Shamrock post game on Saturday night slash Sunday morning, but uh, good to good to be with you and, and talk a little bit about Notre Dame Clemson part five of the uh, modern era with Dabo Sweeney. Oh, I know. I'm bummed that we're not going to all be together. I'm going to actually be in Knoxville um, hanging out with some Tennessee fans this weekend. So um, I'm that could be excited. either really, really, really fun or really, really, really dark. Um, you know, I'm slightly, uh, I, I'm going to keep my head on a swivel. I <laughs> asked my dad, I was like, do you want to come with? Um, so I'm excited, but I am bummed that we won't be hanging out. Uh, I've been in Notre Dame once when I was a student, North Carolina played there and took an inexplicable 14 to zero lead at the end of the first quarter and then completely crumbled. And that was the only time I've been to Notre Dame. That's a Marquise Williams game, right? Throw, rush, and receive. The Christian McCaffrey, we call it now. Yes, yes, that was the Marquise Williams era. Fun, fun. Uh, were you at the Syracuse Clemson game? I know you wrote a couple stories after the fact. You were there. What I mean, what? Nothing ever makes sense when those two teams get together, and yet because it unfolded the what this very specific way it did, I feel like there's a whole rash of questions about Clemson now that we all thought were put to rest through the first seven games. How has Clemson dealt with the, I hate to say fallout because it was a good thing and they won, but how have they dealt with this, especially with the extra week to prepare for Notre Dame? Yeah, I mean, as soon as DJ started playing poorly, um, I think nationally it's kind of like, is is the sky falling at Clemson? Um, You know, he had been so good up to this point. And I, I think he had sort of earned the benefit of the doubt in a way that he did probably did not earn last year. Um, and then Kate Klubnick came in and sort of righted the ship. I think he was two of four for maybe 19 yards, um, but he didn't turn the ball over, which was really what Clemson needed. Um, and then of course they go into the bye week right. And everyone's like, what's going to happen at quarterback at Clemson? Because now we have two weeks to sit here and talk about it and all these things. But Dabo was very upfront afterwards Brandon Streeter, the offensive coordinator, Will Shipley, a lot of them. Like, hey, this is DJ's team. Even Kate Klubnick said that he went up to him in the locker room afterwards and was like, hey, bro, this is still your team. Um, so I'm curious to see how how DJ bounces back because that's something that he struggled with last year is when things started to go poorly for him, sometimes they spiraled. So I'm curious to see what kind of week he has this week. It was interesting to hear Marcus Freeman talk about Clemson this week because he almost like unprompted mentioned watching the film and seeing DJ go up to Cade when he came in the game and really sort of being there to support him. And it, like, I really like that. That really shows that Clemson has a sort of a good team morale. Like I'm assuming this is like a million miles away from 
when Trevor Lawrence came in as like the five-star freshman um, and, and took over the job. Cause that felt like a little bit more of a splintered situation where you weren't sure what Clemson was going to do. Is it, I mean, is it, is it totally different from that? I think so for sure. Yeah. I think that's a really accurate read on the situation. Now, I think at the beginning of the season, we all maybe wondered if maybe it would be like that. And in some ways I think Trevor was sort of this, it was, it was sort of a given. We all knew at some point, right. He was going to take over this job. It was kind of predestined. And I think when we look at the season DJ had last year, of course, comparisons were made. Is this going to be Cade's job? How short is DJ's leash, et cetera, et cetera. Game one was not a pretty offensive game for Clemson, which kind of made things a little louder in that regard. But yeah, I've always gotten the sense that Cade is truly, well, let me take that back. Since since after week one and since DJ started playing the way he has since played, I have gotten the sense that Kate is truly the backup and that this is not a situation where it's just a matter of time like it was with Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence. I have two follow-ups up to that. First one is, does anyone know what Kelly Bryant's doing right now? And two, um, was the internal angst, and not even internal, just I guess around Death Valley, around the state of South Carolina, it seemed like the entire nation was waiting for the other shoe to drop with DJ and it dropped in that Syracuse game. Was that the sense there? Because the guy played really freaking well this year up until that Clemson, uh, that Syracuse game. Yeah, he had played so well. You're right. And I think game one against Georgia Tech, people were kind of like, you know, what's going on here? And, and in a lot of ways, the Georgia Tech game, I thought the Clemson offense looked a lot like they did in 2021. And I think there was a sense of, all right, here we go again. Uh, but then DJ started playing lights out. You know, he played really, really well from weeks two to whatever it was, seven, I think, seven, I think. Um But yeah, and now I think that that's where people are the most curious is, okay, we saw him struggle last year, and then we saw what happened after he started struggling. What's going to happen this week? I think he bounces back. I think he's just on a different level mentally this year than he was last year, but I I could see how there's definitely some angst. Um, I don't don't know where Kelly Bryant is. I I maybe should know that. Um, (laughs) He's he's from Calhoun Falls, South Carolina. I do know that. I don't really know what he's up to. Do y'all know? No, I, I, I we mentioned him. I'm like, oh yeah, like he was pretty good. It was he a big was. deal when he, he went to Mizzou. Solid. But yeah, I don't know. How he, I mean, people forget he led him to a playoff in 2018, and <laughs> you know, I mean, or no, as 2017. Yeah, you know, yeah. he still did his part, but yeah, he's a he's just always considered that middleman. He, he texted his breakup note to Dabo and was never heard from in Death Valley again. <laughs> <laughs> What uh, So one thing that does feel different to me about this Clemson team, like the defensive line is the same. Quarterback is still a five-star guy. They still have an elite running back. Um, but they're like the wide receivers that I feel like we've seen Clemson have in the past in Notre Dame games, like 2018 was like another planet entirely. But even it was um, blanking on the guy's name now in 2020. Um, Cornell Powell. Cornell Powell. And then it was like what EJ Williams, I think in the bowl game sort of had a little bit oh, of a yeah, breakout performance. Crazy like, game. Do they like, do they sort of have those like go, go gadget arms, wideouts? Like I know Bo Collins is there and he was a big time recruit, but I don't know. Has that position sort of taken a step back from maybe where it was in the last three or four years? I think so. Um, and I think it's the one piece that this offense is missing that in the sense that there is not really a T Higgins, a, a Mike Williams, a Justin Ross. I mean, their their leading receiver right now is the true freshman slot receiver, Antonio Williams. And I think he's been really good, but I think he's still got 365 yards. And then Ngata is next. I'm looking at it now with 324. And yep. Joseph Ngata has one touchdown. And this is a guy that 
I, in my career covering Clemson, had never heard Dabo Sweeney rave about a wide receiver more than he did Joseph and Gata. And we're now at week whatever, and he's got one touchdown. So, yeah, I think that's the element of this offense that is certainly different than their, you know, quote-unquote textbook playoff teams. It's funny because the way we talk about Clemson receivers, I think Notre Dame would sacrifice a limb to have these problems right now at receiver <laughs> at any point in their tenure. But I, mean, I was looking that up, this up for the podcast. It's like they do not have a top 20 receiver in the ACC this year, which really? is incredible. Wow. No, uh, Antonio Williams is 21 with, with uh, 29 catches, and, or excuse me, with 45.5 yards per game. We'll look at it at the yards per game. It's, it's, it's taken such a massive step back, and it certainly has limited what this offense likes to do even though it's been still very successful in spite of it. Is that as simple as Jeff Scott's not there anymore? I mean, what, what, what is there a, a cause for this problem over the last three or four years at Clemson? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, I think in hindsight, we probably, and we, I, I do think Jeff Scott got his flowers when he was at Clemson, but he, in hindsight, I don't know that he got the credit that he deserved just as a wide receiver coach and the way he, developed these guys the way that you always knew he was going to have a number one target, a a downfield guy at the boundary position, Uh, the work he did with Hunter Renfro. uh, I think it's still early for, for Grisham in some ways, the the new wide receivers coach in other ways. I think Clemson fans are are ready to see some production from this position. Uh, Recruiting is always going to be a really important piece, but I don't know. That's, that's a question I've had too is all right. DJ's better. He's more accurate. We know he's got a big arm. He was not great last year, but this year, you know, feasibly their, their passing game should, should probably have a receiver that's got, you know, more than 45 yards a game. So I don't know. I think it's a really interesting conundrum though. With um, coming into this weekend, the defensive line, I think I've read quite a bit about how like, for how, talented they are or like how highly touted they were like haven't really clicked on like we in our sort of round table today you referenced it um you know maybe they even haven't been healthy together at the same time is this i mean is this defensive line as good as the 2020 group when a lot of them were still there they were just younger um i can't imagine it's as good as the 2018 group but like how how good is this group overall yeah, there were a lot of comparisons in the preseason to the 2018 group. And I think that had they stayed healthy, to your point, at the same time and consistently performed together at the same time, maybe we're having more of that conversation. Um, but yeah, I just I feel like I just keep waiting for them to collectively. I mean, they've been very, very good. Don't get me wrong. But I keep waiting for them to collectively all dominate at once. And, you know, Xavier Thomas was dealing with a foot injury, so he didn't play till later. Uh, Brian Brzee has been in and out. Um, you know, this is, it's a really talented group. I've been super impressed with KJ Henry. I think he's taken a, a big stride in, in his fifth or sixth year at this point. I don't know how old these guys are anymore after COVID. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look across the board, it's a bunch of five stars and a bunch of top 10 players. And so the talent is certainly there. I think I'm just looking for them to mesh a little bit more consistently all at one time. I think we all, well, everyone here, and especially the nation, remembers DJ's second start, which was at Notre Dame. Obviously, he lost, but he set the uh, Notre Dame opponent passing yards record. And between that and his, his late-game comeback the week earlier against Boston College, I, I think there was a sense of, all right, it was Deshaun Watson, it's Trevor Lawrence, now it's DJ Uyunglele. Obviously, last year that didn't go according to plan. This year's going much better. Did you think he's almost unfairly judged by that big performance his last time out at Notre Dame and everyone's just kind of 
they saw that as a first impression nationally and are just waiting for him to, to do that every week now, as impossible as it is? Yeah, for sure. I mean, he just he set such a crazy high bar uh, to his credit. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, just to be able to replicate that week in and week out, I think was probably a little unrealistic. And then he just, I thought he had better talent around him in 2020 than he did last year. I mean, Cornell Powell had a great game that year. He was a senior, Amari Rogers, Travis Etienne was on that team. I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, coming in as the true freshman backup, not a ton to lose, just knowing that Trevor was going to be out with COVID and and he was going to take over here in this huge setting at Notre Dame. And so I think in some ways he was probably a little bit looser than he was last year as the starter. Um, but for sure, ever since we saw that outing, we all held him to that standard. And so when he didn't meet it last year, I think it was all the more jarring. It was funny. I was talking to Isaiah Foskey, Notre Dame's uh, top defensive end on Tuesday night, and uh, we're sort of reliving the 2020 game. He's like, oh, yeah, the entire game plan was Travis Etienne, Travis Etienne, Travis Etienne, take him away and, like, force DJ to throw it. And then he, he paused for a second. He's like, yeah, and it was really kind of played out of his mind, too. Uh, <laughs> like, he really, he, he really freaking threw it. Yeah, that game, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was... I think walking out of the stadium, you're like, well, Notre Dame will have to play him one more time, but definitely not two more times because there's no way he'll be on the Clemson roster in 2024 or 2023 because <laughs> um, he will be somewhere uh, starting in the NFL somewhere. Um, what um, I, with Clemson overall, like, I think that there's a little bit of like this national narrative out there that. They've kind of slipped from where they were in 15, 16, um, you know, maybe even 18, 19. And I, I don't know if it's like they've slipped as much as just like they don't have a transcendental quarterback right now. Like, is, do you feel like the program is as healthy as it's been when they were winning at an elite, elite level? It's just like the quarterback play is not a number one overall pick or a top or first round pick right now. Yeah, I think that's a little bit of it. I think the wide receivers is a big part of it. Um, and I think with this Clemson team, we're all waiting for them to just slam the door on someone, right? Like we saw them, I, I won't I won't say struggle, but I thought they looked more vulnerable than they should have against a Furman, against a Louisiana Tech. Uh, Syracuse was, was obviously a ranked win for them, but you look across the board at these rosters and Clemson is a much more talented team. It is a better team. And so I think that's what everyone's kind of waiting for is in the past, even when their schedule was under a lot of scrutiny, they were dominating people and just running them out of stadiums. Whereas this year, I, I don't know that we've seen the complete, like we are going to assert ourselves as the best team in this stadium from start to finish. It's funny. You guys mentioned it in that context, as I always go back to something uh, I did a story. I think it was uh, maybe after the 2018 Clemson team won it all. Um, I did a story on just like how you need to build a national champion and what, what ingredients go into it. And I remember speaking to Manny Diaz, who was the head coach of Miami at the time. He said, you need to recruit your butt off. But on top of that, you need uh, one or two trans trans um, transformational stars. And he goes, perfect example, 2017 Clemson made the playoff. 2018 had the exact same roster, except they added Trevor Law. Trevor Lawrence and Justin Ross, and they were maybe the greatest team ever. And I just feel like that's lacking now. Like, I, I think you know, if they win this week, which they should, I don't think there's any doubt they're going to make the playoff. I don't see them losing again. I don't know if this is a national championship roster right now. And I, I don't, Grace, what's kind of the, the vibe in that regard 
um, as far as th- this is a program that's about winning national championships now. They've put themselves in that zip code. I-, I don't know if they're there yet, but I've been wrong about them before. I agree with you. I mean, it just feels like a different... I mean, this 2018 team was just so dominant from start to finish. Um, 2016, you could see it coming, obviously, after the way the 2015 national title game went with Alabama. I think that they are a playoff team. I'm with you, and I I don't see them losing out. I, I see them winning out the rest of the season. I think that's a very manageable task for them. But that is the thing I'm the most curious about, because in the past, you felt like, okay, they were going to they were going to fare pretty well in the playoff. They were going to match up decently. Um, they were not going to probably get run out of the building. I, I, I could also be wrong. I, I just have no idea how to view this team right now in the playoff because I, I just feel like we still have more to see from them. So I think that they're, I think they are a playoff team. I don't know that they're a national championship team. What the, I know you're not like in the weeds deep with Clemson as much as maybe in the past, but like, do you have much of a perception of like how Notre Dame is viewed there? I mean, the games have been Notre Dame wins up here in double overtime. The ACC championship game was not competitive. Um, I'd say the cotton bowl was not competitive in the college football playoff. The 2015 game was awesome. Um, yeah, but like what, how is Notre Dame perceived around Clemson? Uh, just in terms of like a rival or just a team on the schedule or like, a shiny helmet that everyone knows. I think there's a ton of respect on the Clemson side for Notre Dame, just knowing their history. And like you said, some of these matchups were not close, but the close matchups were epic. (laughs) Um, And that's the Notre Dame that I think Clemson sees. They see the Notre Dame of 2015 of 2020 at Notre Dame. Um, So, and I think there's just a deep appreciation for the history, the tradition. You know, I know how much it meant to Dabo to get to go to Notre Dame and and see the campus. I don't even know that he had seen it before. Um, So, I I mean, I don't know if we're going to start calling this a rivalry. I love that they're playing so much over the next however many years. You and I were talking about this off air about how your kid's going to be like 25 when they're playing the 2030s. (laughs) It's already Um, scheduled. He'll be a seventh-year senior. Yeah, 2037. (laughs) <laughs> um, but I love it. And I, and I know Clemson's got a lot of respect for the program for sure. Uh, what do you, so that was Dabo's first trip. He actually, he tried to get the, I wrote this too a couple of years ago. He tried to get the receiving coach job when he got fired from Alabama that Urban Meyer left vacant as did Dave Clawson and they hired Joker Phillips. So that was a great decision by Notre Dame clearly uh, back way back when, but that was his first time. Our friend Tim Bray, friend of the show, showed him around everywhere, but this will be different. Clemson fans cannot travel to that last game. Um, I'm sure they've been itching to get out there. Uh, I texted someone from Clemson that we're all familiar with here saying, what do you expect? And he said, uh, reading the text now, I think we'll travel pretty hard. Not UGA taking it over on a Labor Day Falcons game, Cubs game weekend, but a solid good road trip for sure. End quote. Uh, do you think we're going to see, the, at least on TV, like we're going to hear that Clemson crowd and we're going to see a sea of orange because learning fans, they got the number one business school in the country for a reason. They know how to make a buck there. And if they can charge an arm and a leg to not see their four and three football team, I wouldn't put it past them <laughs> to do that. Yeah, I think they'll travel. I mean, this has been a five a, and three. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, five, oh you're going to yell that <laughs> yeah. on your DMs? Just kidding. Um, but yeah, I think this is a bucket list trip for a lot of Clemson fans because, like you said, they all. I mean, in many ways, they've been waiting for this trip for years. I think a lot of them had it scheduled, ready to roll on their calendars, planned accordingly for 2020. And then obviously COVID-19 happened. And so I don't think it really matters to them that 
Notre Dame is is maybe having a little bit of an off year compared to years past. I think they're pumped to go see the stadium, see Touchdown Jesus, uh, get get to see a game at Notre Dame. Um, so I expect them to travel pretty well. I think they're pretty pumped. You know what's bizarre to me? This game is not sold out. It's what? not. It's not. Wow. Like you, you can go on the Notre Dame uh, site right now and buy tickets. So I take is, back what I said about Notre Dame reselling since they won't need to resell. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's shocking to me considering like how big of a ticket this would have been in 2020 if it had been a ticket for everybody. Like that would have been one of those games where I think Notre Dame, the Notre Dame fan base, would have showed up to levels that there would not have been a lot of orange in right. there. Um, yeah. But the fact that it's not sold out and you can go on Notre Dame's website and buy tickets for it now makes me think that they're. I guess I would think there would be a lot of orange in there, but I don't know. Maybe there won't. Maybe Clemson's fan base has sort of traveled out a little bit, um, you know, ever over the last, what, five, six, seven, eight years going to ACC title games and college football playoff games and national championship games. But I'm I'm quite interested in it because, I mean, Marcus Freeman even talked about this on, on Mondays. Like, he remembers the Cincinnati game last year, which was a very – harsh slap in the face that a group of five team would come in and sort of have 20% of your stadium and all bright red and, and quite, um, they, they were quite liquored up. I'll just say it. Um, that was a rowdy fan group. So it, uh, I think there will be a lot of orange in there. I also think like the, even the fan bases have a, a pretty good mutual respect for one another where I think it'll be a fairly cordial environment uh, for clubs. You're only allowed to say mutual respect Navy week. Oh, sure. Uh, Pete, that's been trademarked. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with you though, Pete. I do think that these fan bases have a lot of respect for, for one another and know that they're getting a quality opponent every time they play. The the thing I always come back to with that 2017 Georgia game was it was week two after a four and eight season. Like that was an Dame fan base basically saying like, we're not happy with the direction of things right now. You're going to have to show us before Mm -hmm. we believe you. And oh, by the way, yeah, Georgia fan, you can have my ticket for five hundred bucks. I've got six other games I'll go to this year uh, for for eighty bucks or whatever. Uh, back to the on-field matters. Wes Goodwin is not Brent Venables, and I say that because no one on planet Earth is Brent Venables. He's a very unique individual who's got his own problems on his hands right now at Oklahoma. <laughs> However, um, didn't know I didn't know a whole lot about Wes Goodwin. I don't think a lot of people knew a whole lot about Wes Goodwin. And when the minute Brent Venables left. I was making calls around on who would replace him. And everyone at Clemson said, oh, it's a done deal. It's already Wes. And I thought, who, who's Wes? Um, it surprised me because I didn't know him. I think he was an analyst last year. Uh, it was also conveyed to me, and again, not to take away from Wes Goodwin, Matt, you or I could coach that defense next year, and they're going to be that good because they're so loaded. Uh, so what are the early takeaways from this first-year defense coordinator who's replacing the best, really, of this generation, I think, to ever do it on that side of the ball? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the thing is that I think Wes was always going to be compared to Venables, fairly or not, but that's just kind of what's become the standard at Clemson, just because he was there for so long and they dominated for so long. Um, These two men, I don't personally think could be more opposite from one another than, than they are. I mean... Venables during every single game looked like he was about to explode at any second to the point where you guys know he had a personal get back coach. Um, Wes Goodwin is one of the chillest, most calm, just relaxed people you will ever meet. So I think that's been fascinating. Um, But, you know, he's put his own twist on things. And and like you said, Fortuna, just this defense is so talented. 
Uh, a lot of teams are having a hard time running on them. That defensive line is is obviously as athletic as they are. The linebackers are really fast. They've been vulnerable in the passing game, and I think that that is something that maybe looks a little different. Just under Venables, they were very complete. I don't know where they are nationally right now in top defenses. I think they're top 30. Um, so obviously we're used to them being top 10 sometimes. Top 10 top. against the run, yeah, which yeah. matters this week. <laughs> yeah, for sure. They're top 10 against the run, but what are they in the past? I think they're like... Uh, uh, that, cl- that weight game really skewed things, but yeah, it's not good. It, yeah, eighty six. So, um, I'm I'm more curious to see, kind of to your point, just about the talent. Is all right. What do, when we look up in two or three years, what does this look like? When he's recruiting his own players, when he is in a situation where this is fully his defense, I think we can better evaluate him there. But I, I think the return's been pretty positive, and that's that's Dabo Sweeney for you. You know, he said it took him 30 seconds, and he didn't really care that the whole world thought that it was kind of nuts that he didn't even interview someone else, and away they went. Right, Notre Dame did that for their head coaching job this year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is that, um, as Dabo sort of gets deeper and deeper into his tenures at clubs. And does he have more of just like that? I don't give a crap what anyone else says or thinks I'm just going to do what I want to do. I mean, I think he's always sort of been that way, but maybe it's getting even stauncher. Like, I don't know if we're venturing into old man yells at cloud with, uh, with (laughs) Dabo here, but is that just, does he, is he sort of like more sort of like dug his heels in and like, this is my way of doing things, whether it be NIL or transfers or, or what have you, that he's just like, he's kind of establishment now. He's not the young up and home coach anymore. I think so. Yes. I think, I mean, he's a lot of people think he's one of the more stubborn coaches in college football. Um, I think he's, you know, he's obviously been very stubborn when it comes to the the portal and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but also he's proven and it's worked for him. And yeah, you know, so I think that he's kind of at that point where he's like, to your point, he's he's not a young interim anymore. He's not a young up and comer. He's one of the most established, most successful coaches in the industry. And I think he's a really good example of how there's no one way to do it. Um, but yes, I think he started to care less about like public perception and, and just what, what people think about him. He does still remember that ESPN gave him a D plus hire. Uh, he, he does still bring that up <laughs> every, every now and then. Um, but in many ways, I wonder if he was always like this, but now he just has the results and the confidence to kind of back it up. I, I remember watching his first game when I was in college thinking, who is this clown? Like just, he just seems like so in over his head. So I, I would have given him an F and but that's not <laughs> anywhere on the internet. Um, but to, to that same point, it felt this felt like a prove it year for me to Clemson. Not that there was anything like um, left to prove, but they were kind of the model of stability in this era. And they took a big step back on the field last year, even though they won some games still. He lost both of his coordinators, he even lost his athletic director. There was so much change in the aftermath of a not great season. And I don't think it was related, but it just all happened to happen at the same time. Was there a sense in that same vein of like, Dabo's got to go out and, and prove it another way now, or, or this is a put-up-or-shut-up year for Clemson, or they're just going to fade back into the oblivion of good programs that's never going to win or seriously compete for a national championship again. And I would add to that through no fault of their own. I think the realignment carousel has kind of shined a brighter light on that because they're on the outside looking in when it comes to eating with the big boys financially. For sure, yeah. I mean, I think realignment is such an important piece of that. Um 
But yes, I viewed this season in the same way you did. And I felt like, and I said this all off season and I still feel like this, that whatever we saw in last year's off season and then bleeding into this season, regardless of what it was, I felt like it would help us explain five years from now, 10 years from now, where Clemson is and why. Like, I just felt like this was that crucial of a year from them. They've had almost no turnover. turnover. Venables was there for 10 seasons. Jeff Scott was there forever. Tony Elliott was there forever. I mean, all these guys were there for so long. And that was kind of the thing with Clemson is that they were the you know antithesis to the machine that was Alabama with all this turnover, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I, I felt like it, whatever was going to happen this year was going to be really crucial in sort of defining the trajectory of this program. I wanted to get into sort of your one of your new roles at The Athletic. You do a lot more sort of recruiting coverage now. Um, and one of those, a story that I thought was a very fun to read, I don't know, it was like a month ago, was sort of recruiting against your alma mater, what that's like. Um, I think for most Notre Dame fans, they're like, well, yeah, Marcus Freeman. But like Chancey Stuckey is part of that too with Clemson. And you were able to connect with with Chancey. I, w- I was interested sort of your perception of talking to him because his personality is not easily forgettable. Uh, and then also like what the perception of him maybe is around Clemson. Um, because I would think that would be, I think even when Notre Dame hired him, when you t- and I talked to people up here, like if there was a check against him, it was like, well, what happens when Clemson wants to hire him? Um, they thought that highly of him out of the gate. Like, well, how is he sort of seen around there? What was your impression of him? Yeah, for sure. I think he's extremely well-respected. I think I've heard from a lot of Clemson fans, maybe jokingly, maybe not jokingly, just about being afraid of him on the on the recruiting trail. I mean, he is, like you said, he has a very lively personality. I think he connects well with these kids. Um, I think that he knows exactly what to look for, especially at the wide receiver position, because he was at Clemson and he, he played and, and he saw them do it at the highest level. So I think there's a lot of... On the one hand, Clemson fans, of course, are going to root for him because he's a Clemson guy and and they're always going to love him. On the other hand, I think they're slightly afraid of him because if he can if he can turn this thing around and get a wide receiver group at Notre Dame, that's that's going to be a, a real threat to them. These are two schools that we've seen compete in the past for guys. Clemson's won their fair share. But um, what happens in the future, I think, is is something that's going to be really interesting. And then I think there's the other element of, you know, he. I believe was at Baylor when yep. when Jeff Scott left for for USF, and so Clemson had a vacancy, um, and obviously went with with Tyler Grisham. So I think that's a that's an a interesting piece of the puzzle. Um, but I'm excited to kind of watch him recruit against Clemson. I think that the more recruiting battles we have, uh, you know, just across the board are, are fun. And I I know that this year is not going super great, but I, I think he has a lot of upside for sure. I overlooked that, that 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 they overlooked him. You know when when um when they replaced Chef Scott, I, I do remember I was with you at their preseason media day back in July, and multiple people came up to me. Uh, Nolan, I, I cover Notre Dame a lot, and they were just like, "Man, like we love Chancey. Like you're gonna love him to cover him. He's gonna be an awesome recruiter. Like we think the world of him." Uh, and, and the other thing, my takeaway anytime I'm in that building is they've got to have the biggest and most famous support staff in the world. Like, I'm like, what's Taj Boyd and, and uh, Arteva Scott doing here? And it's like, oh, they're, they're GA's analysts now. And oh, by the way, it's Media Olympics and Taj Boyd's group's going to win the, the fade throwing contest. For sure. No crap. Um, so that, that's interesting. <laughs> They've figured out a way around it in that regard. I want to come back to something touched on a little bit earlier. And I don't say this to like regurgitate old wounds or to start any controversy or anything, but... Um, 
it was an open secret in college football that Brent Venables' staffs were incredibly efficient at sign stealing uh, to the point that people really got upset about it. And Notre Dame was really on guard for that in 2020. Tommy Reese huddled more in that game than I think Notre Dame's probably ever huddled um, under his his uh, his leadership as OC. And it ended up working out really well for them. They scored 47 points. They won the game. Is there been any, like, is that a Clemson thing or more of a Brent Venables thing? Like, has that come up at all um, this season? I don't know that it's come up. I think what's interesting and a question that I have that we will probably never get an answer to is who is Wes Goodwin's Wes Goodwin? Because <laughs> um, Venables got his calls in, you know, so late as as we all know. And what we heard from just people around the program and people who were familiar with Wes was that he was a huge part of in real time diagnosing everything he saw relaying that information up to Venables and then the call gets put in super late. So that's what I want to know is like who, if anyone has that ability to process like him, but I haven't heard a lot about that this year. I think um, it's always going to be a a narrative in college football, right? Like, and you know, that's, that's something that's not going away, but um, I will be interested to see how Goodwin processes this Notre Dame offense for sure. Yeah, the Stoner Dame offense is still trying to process itself. So, uh, <laughs> maybe West, yeah, maybe well, you and I can be the West Goodwin. Yeah, West Goodwin can get in line on that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bit tricky. I, I was getting back to recruiting a little bit. I mean, I think Clemson is sitting there at 10th in the 24-7 sports composite rankings. Stoner Dame's at third, and they're pretty much done this cycle. Like, How much does room does Clemson have left uh, and is in the – you know? Clemson has NIL, but I I feel like sort of similar to Notre Dame, their NIL is not like AM, Miami, uh, Oregon type of stuff. How how have they sort of tried to live in that space um, but not get like overboard with it? Because I, I Dab Dabo strikes me as like I don't want to get down into the sort of the mud pit where you're promising stuff to kids who haven't even shown up yet. For sure. Yeah, that's that's 100% been their approach. And they've said they've been very open about the fact that if your number one priority is NIL, you should probably not come to Clemson. And they've they've just kind of owned that up front. And it's a situation where when these kids are coming on visits with their families, um, there is the educational piece of it. And Clemson is building a facility right now strictly for NIL. And I think it's a situation where they want to be at the forefront of it or as close to the top of it as they can be once the kids get on campus. But that's been a big part for them is the kids being there, first of all. And then second of all, um, I think we all over, over the last couple of years, we probably all rolled our eyes whenever Dabo would call Clemson little old Clemson. This is the one time where I think he could do it. And it makes sense. You know, they're just not a big alumni base. It's just not a, it's not a, a Texas or a USC or a Notre Dame or, <laughs> they or whatever. They're t- small. They take pride in giving two bucks a year. Isn't that like the whole thing? Like that's <laughs> not, that's not year. getting I any five-star prospect to come to your school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they know, oh I think they know they're lame in that regard. The, uh, I, I think it was this year. It might've been last year. Uh, he mentioned, he's, it was ACC media day and he says a little Clemson and someone called him out on it. We being a little Clemson, you've won X number of ACC titles, national titles, and he went on the same kind of uh, diatribe that you did. Oh, we're the smallest public school here. We blah blah blah. 
And I'm thinking we're doing he's saying this against the backdrop of all these realignment moves where Texas, which hasn't done anything on the field, is dictating everything. I'm like, someone from Clemson's administration's gotta be like, stop, stop, stop. Like I, I get it. It worked for a while, but we gotta stop selling that. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. I mean, it is an interesting well, and I think he tried it, he sort of sometimes played it both ways, right? Like he would sell it in that way, which I did think was accurate and fair, but then he would also sell it in ways where he was trying to motivate his team and they were still undefeated and whatever. No one actually truly believed in them as an underdog once they started dominating people. Um, but it is, that is an interesting point because now it's the exact opposite in terms of you, you don't want to be left behind in realignment. You want to be having a seat at the table with the big boys. And so if your pitch was, you know, we're this small little old Clemson, it's, it was probably endearing five years ago. Now, you know, the landscape is just so different. I love that you've got like little old clubs and with a head coach making what, like eight, nine, ten like million 10. dollars a year? No, eleven or twelve now. Eleven or twelve now, and like the the greatest Notre Dame story uh, at a place with a thirteen. I don't, I don't know what the endowment is in the billions. Is a freaking walk on defensive lineman named Rudy. Like it's <laughs> these two schools love the underdog story, despite like the fact that they are both like gorillas in the room. Yes. Uh, gorillas. I love that. Yes. I mean, I'm all for the motivate, do whatever motivates your team. But I mean, there was a, there was a whole time y'all remember it, the Roy bus, yeah. all these oh, things. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, when's the last time you heard the word, uh, I don't even want to say it. When's the last time you heard the word Clemson Inc. You know what I mean? Like he's on YouTube when I watch that video. (laughs) Right, right. Like that was um, David Hale was our guest last week. We should have asked him about that, but um, he was on the receiving end of Davos rant that week. But like that was such a thing, and it's so hard to like overcome perception and stereotypes. And yet, me bringing that up right now, it's like I almost forgot about it. I'm sure a lot of our audience forgot about it. Like speaks to just how far removed they are from that. Like, here we go again. You know, when are the plucky underdogs going to come back to earth kind of thing? Like, it's just, I don't know. I mean, say what you want about the guy and there's plenty of good and bad to say. Like, uh, to me, it's like, it's Nick Saban, it's Davos Sweeney, and I don't think anyone else is even in, like, the discussion as far as, like, top-tier college football coach right now. There are other great coaches, but yeah. what he's done there has just been unbelievable. Yeah, I agree. He's earned that for sure. What? So what? Uh, what do you expect to see on Saturday night? sort of pivot to the game a little bit. I mean, it's, um, I think, and this was a great point that brought up one of our readers or in the, the round table we had about like defending Michael Mayer and how Clemson defends the tight end or doesn't defend the tight end. Um, but like, what, what are you sort of expecting to see on Saturday night? Well, offensively, I do think that DJ finds his confidence again. This is a place he's obviously very comfortable in. And I just, feel like he's at a different place mentally. So I I would like to see him bounce back. And I think he will. Will Shipley's been really, really good. Um, So I think they'll, they'll lean on him again. We talked about it in our round table, Pete, like can Notre Dame, can Notre Dame throw on Clemson? I don't know. I mean, it's such an interesting, they struggle to throw on UNLV. So can they throw, can they throw, can they throw, throw, period? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, because I don't know. It's just one of those things where every time I see teams try to run on Clemson, I'm just kind of like, what are you doing? Why would you do this to yourself? But this is maybe the one team that it makes sense. Just force the issue if you can't do anything vertically. So I think I'm more interested in just what does Notre Dame, like how do they decide to attack this? You know, what's their plan? Because if they're going after Clemson's weakness, it is their secondary. But if they don't have a quarterback that can do it, then... I don't know what the heck happens. Pete, how do you do you have a prediction? Um 
I have a hard time seeing Notre Dame moving the ball consistently. I am interested to sort of see how the weather shakes out. Um, mm. It's, I think, right now, yeah. highly likely chance of rain. Um, I don't know if it'll be like tropical storm monsoon conditions. I doubt that. Yeah. But they've, um, they've done that before, these two teams. They've done it before. <laughs> uh, and Notre Dame was playing its second stream quarterback because their starter got hurt for the year in game two of that season as well. Although that was a lot different Notre Dame team than this one. Um, I, and it only rained when Notre Dame had the ball that, that game. Yeah, remember? that's true, too. Um, <laughs> you know, I think for how much Notre Dame's punt block uh, has gotten some shine the last few weeks and it's been very good, like Clemson has blocked four kicks as well. Um, I don't, Grace, you could probably fill us in on the circumstances of those, but like Notre Dame's have been all punt and all like they almost pulled the Stanford and Marshall games out of the fire um, because of their punt block units. But, um, I think if Notre Dame wins, they have to score a non-offensive touchdown, which is not like not where you want to be as a program. But I yeah. think that's just sort of where this matchup is is right now. Isn't that, that crazy? That, that's kind of how I feel. I mean, I just there's no like linear path to victory for Notre Dame in the sense of yeah, they're not going to throw all over them. They're not going to run all over them. I, I, I thought defensively they turned a corner last week as far as imposing their will on the game. They had two takeaways in a season, which they had just three prior to that. And they're going to need another defensive touchdown or, or something crazy to happen. I will say this line is fluctuating anywhere between three and five and a half all week. Vegas has been very sour on a very good Clemson team all year long. And for that reason, like those guys know more than I do. So like I'm like, at some point they probably should lose a game if they're that vulnerable. And yet I, I just have a hard time seeing it happening matchup wise against Notre Dame. I said thirty one twenty four on a show show earlier this week, so I'll, I'll stick with that. Although if it's raining really hard, I don't think it's going to be that high scoring. Like I, I I can talk myself after last week into Notre Dame making this a game and seeing the the quarterback non controversy at Clemson and seeing the Vegas line makes me think something weird could happen and work in Notre Dame's favor. I just have a hard time like conveying that into a structural argument of why <laughs> the Irish would, would actually win this. They would just like the run game would have to show up in a way that it has not in these games very often, except for the Clemson game in November of 2020, when they rushed for 200 yards, like in the rematch in Charlotte, when Clemson was a full strength, Notre Dame rushed for 44 yards. You know, Tyler Davis came back for that game too, uh, against Alabama in the playoff. I think they rushed for 139 yards. So it's not, I I almost feel like they have to get to 250 minimum in this game, which is a huge ask against Clemson because they're not going to throw it for more than 150. And that's going to have to be built on like three bomb completions because um, they're, you know, probably two to Michael Mayer and one to Tobias Merriweather. Like if they don't, if they don't do that. I have a hard time seeing them having a whole lot of offensive success. Like, and I'll be interested to sort of see how Tommy Reese calls it. Cause like, I think the first play of the game in 2020 was the Kyron Williams what, 65-yard touchdown run. Um, I think they almost have to like come out and chuck it deep on the first play of the game just to like prove that they're willing to do it. Um, not that it's going to be an efficient way to move the ball, but it, I just feel like that's what Notre Dame has to do because if they don't, if they don't even attempt it, then Clemson will just like crowd the line and they're not going to have any success at all. Pete, sure. Was Al Golden asked about this at all? Was, like they ended his college coaching career 
59 nothing in 2015. No, no, that did okay. not come up. Um, revenge game. Here we go. Yeah, <laughs> no, he, he talked about uh, DJ and was like sort of a bit perplexed that there would be any sort of controversy, controversy at quarterback at all. Um, so, yeah, no, there, there wasn't a lot of that. A lot of good things to say about Will Shipley. I guess, Grace, um, one other thing, like I think Clemson's offensive line has been a little bit of a weak point um, over the last few years. And I, I thought Notre Dame's defensive line really bludgeoned them in 2020 um, in November, at least like, is that, is that group better? Um, or is that a point where you can sort of put some pressure on Clemson? I view this. I mean, that was one of the, that was probably the biggest acquisition in the transfer portal that Clemson fans wanted to see Clemson make was go get a, veteran starter who can beef up the offensive line. Um, I think Shipley is, is playing really well this year and he and Maffa together have become a nice little duo. I wouldn't, I, I kind of view this offensive line the same way I viewed it for the last, however many years, it's never going to be the star of the team. Sometimes it's going to be a little bit of an issue. Um, clearly not to the point where they're losing games over it, but the offensive line is it has never and probably will never be Clemson's you know biggest strength. Yeah, I've always been incredibly impressed. I don't know if impressed the right word, but like I've never seen a program have as much success as Clemson has. With that being such a not big part of their success yeah. over the course of this time and last year, it really came back to hurt them. Uh, I got one more for you. I don't know if PSA more. Uh, kind of already did your prediction for this week. We'll ask you, uh, Clemson against your alma mater, North Carolina, in the ACC title game. That seems mm-hmm. inevitable at this point. Maybe even a playoff playoff game, which would be funny because now we're talking about three different teams Notre Dame could play spoiler for uh, between Clemson, USC, and North Carolina. Uh, how do you see that shaping out? Because at this point, there's no way that's not the ACC title game. I would love to see North Carolina's offense against Clemson's defense. I'm not as excited about Clemson's offense against North Carolina's <laughs> defense. <laughs> um, I mean, I think UNC's got the offense to play with anyone in the country, but the defense, last I checked, it was like in the 120s. So I like Clemson in that game, but my actually my very best friend in the entire world is getting married that day. So um, I will not be seeing it and or watching it, but uh, I feel like it could have some fireworks, but... I like Clemson in it, just given UNC's defense right now. My very best friend in the entire world's getting married that weekend, but he chose a Friday wedding. Not, hopefully not just Ooh. for me, but so I will get to <laughs> see that clutch. in the Big Ten the next day. <laughs> that yeah, is clutch. I feel like any Clemson fan who watches this Saturday and then looks ahead to the ACC championship game is like, wait a minute. Drew Pine threw for three, 289 yards and three touchdowns against North Carolina's against defense. This guy? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Clemson should feel pretty good about where they stand heading into that one. But, well, it's a shame you won't be able to watch that, Grace, because I think that will be, that, that may be the most uh, intriguing ACC champion, the second most ACC, <laughs> second, yeah. uh, second most intriguing ACC title game since Notre Dame played in it. So, I know. I might have to, you know, sneak a few bathroom breaks with my phone, check the score. You'll Make be holding up a, a, a Drake May for Heisman banner at the reception. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. Someone that could be, he, if they win that game, he'll be in New York. I mean, someone give me a Drake May fat head for this wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, Grace, thanks for uh, coming on the Shamrock, talking a little Clemson, a little bit recruiting. Uh, shame you won't be up here with us this weekend, but hopefully next year, if Matt and I are both at Clemson, you need to figure out a way to make there or at least show us around Greenville on Friday night. 
deal. We All can right. definitely make that happen. Awesome. All right. She's Grace Rayner. Joined as always by Matt Fortuna and Pete Sampson. Matt and I will be back very, very late Saturday night. You'll be listening to it Sunday morning because there's no way it's going up uh, at 11.59 p.m. Uh, with our post-game episode of the Shamrock following Notre Dame Thompson. So until then, thanks for listening.